on this episode of Quantum Week, April 6th through 12th, 1997. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, sometime in our lifetime, and we talk about the movies, the music, headlines, history, anything that makes uh, that time period unique. And this week, we're doing April 6th through 12th, 1997. That's right. A much better week than the week we just did. Oh, And I do want to make a quick amendum to last week, a quick put a little end cap on our, on our thing. We forgot to bring up... So Matt and I, we rank the movies. We have some fun with it. We put it on Twitter. Yeah. We rank the movies. Eventually, we're going to run out of space, but we... We'll have to be creative at that point. But we try to rank every movie we see on the podcast alone. And if we both agree on a favorite movie, which we currently don't. No, we don't. Right now, my I'm favorite. I'm going to walk the line for me, And right? my favorite movie we've done so far is Moneyball. Right. Oh, and I need to do my top 10 for this week. Um, or top 12. But um, we do agree on the worst movie. Yes, absolutely. Which is Poseidon, the one we did, uh, you would have heard on Saturday. Yeah, even uh, worse than Identity Thief, which is hard to believe. Yes. So, um... Because of that, we decided to make an award. Now, we haven't named the award for best movie because we haven't agreed on it yet, so that doesn't exist yet. But sure. we have decided to name an award after the worst movie we both have to agree on. Yeah. And we named it the Akiva, after Akiva Goldsman, who is the screenwriter of uh, Da Vinci Code. Yep. He also wrote A Time to Kill, which I didn't really like. He produced uh, uh, Poseidon. And he produced Poseidon. So he's done. he's been involved with three of the worst movies. <laughs> right. uh, I also have long not liked him very much. He won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. Oh, I yeah. think he's wildly overrated. So from now on, if Matt and I both agree on the worst picture, which we currently do, that movie will get an Akiva. The Akiva? So congratulations, Poseidon. You are the honorer. You have uh, won the first uh, Akiva. Well done, and uh, keep up the bad work. Yes, well, congratulations. So, but this <laughs> week is better. Although the movie, uh, we, the movie is the Anaconda. It's still, it's entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it. Uh, we just want to get right into it. Yeah, yeah, the please. Anaconda. Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, do you want to give your fifteen second summary? <laughs> All right. Oh, do you want me to do that first? Yeah, you're great, you're great doing us some 15 Jennifer <laughs> Lopez uh, is a. She's getting her big break directing. Um, a documentary about uh, the, sh- I wanted to make sure I said this right, the Shirishamas. Okay. Which are like an tribe. Amazonian tribe a few people have ever had contact with. And her love interest is an anthropologist named, well, I don't remember, Eric Stoltz. It was, it was Dr. Kale, I believe. Dr. Kale. <laughs> yeah, weird. Uh, they come across, across, they're on a boat in the Amazon. They come across a stranded um, snake wrangler <laughs> played by John Voight. Also like a religious <laughs> guy, apparently, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, who deceives them into hunting a giant anaconda. That's right. Basically. And then, and then murders happen. Well, the, murders, the murders and snake deaths, snake deaths. All sorts of shit. Uh, yeah. So this movie is is uh, is pulpy trash, but it mm. is, but it never tries to be anything else. No, the, it doesn't. The total intention is movie is to be pulpy trash. And um, some of the cast doesn't quite get it. Some of the cast totally gets it. It has a blast. Do you think that Voight was playing, like, was doing that on... So he has the worst accent. I think he's I just think having I, fun. Okay, is he... I didn't know if he was doing it seriously. And, I thought he was greatness. Okay. I really do. I'm, so he I, sounds like Scarface. I'm a, he's from Paraguay. It's so ridiculous. I think, but also... Uh, I probably am way overthinking this. <laughs> I really think that he's not... Like, he's not from Paraguay. It's all a lie. It's all deception. Well, that makes disguise. me feel better. And I think he's putting on, like, a bad accent. Like, I don't... Yeah. I think that if you, like, really... He's actually American. Right. But he's putting on a bad accent. And he's accent. doing this whole thing to try to <laughs> deceive these people so he has the access to this boat to go and get this, this yeah. snake. No real explanation of why, other than the money, he's only... That's, that's it. 
it'd be nice if we had a bit more backstory. Maybe he had like a, you know, he hated the snake or. Yeah, because then he also get... had a snake in his house, though, at the end of the movie. Did which he... was different than the snake that. Oh, was that his house they went into? It was that. I thought it was the structure that, uh, oh, Danny Trejo uh, killed himself in. I thought they were in that structure. I don't think so. I think that was like end. a boat. No, that was, yeah, you're right. That was like a boat dock. Danny so must Trejo, have been by in... the way, credited. Uh, I've never, I've never seen this before. So Danny Trejo got a credit. He was, I think he was a ninth build in this or whatever. Okay, yeah, so he gets yep, a credit yeah. in the beginning credit sequence. Yep. He's dead before like, the credits are over. <laughs> he is. Which is, I, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Someone gets <laughs> billed before the credits. That was something else. Uh, Trejo, by the way, another example of someone who's just having fun in this movie. I know it's yeah. a very short thing, but he's setting the tone and he does it exactly right. John yeah. Voigt, in my opinion, does this exactly right. He's just showing up scenery. He's having fun. <laughs> All right. He's not taking... Owen Wilson, again, another example of someone oh. doing it right. Yeah. He's just having fun. And Owen Wilson had nothing to lose at that point. He was a nobody. No. And um, he is just having a, a great time. That was like right after Bottle Rockets. I think that was their first film. Yeah. And like maybe and that might have been Rushmore 96. hadn't even come out yet. No, which, not which till he helped 99 or 2000. I, I think 99. Remember. Yeah. Because um, it's probably that great 99 year movies. Um, so he, he's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go and have fun and just be goofy and, and have a blast, which is the right way to approach pulpy trash. Yeah. On the other hand, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> I mean, she, she figures it out in the third act. Yeah. Then when, when John Voight kind of wakes up after they kind of, uh, they sneak attacked him and she's like threatening him. Uh, it's about an hour. The movie starts threatening him. Be like, I will, I, I'm the snake, you know, right. I can go yeah. like, uh, fuck you up basically. You yeah. Which is like, Oh yes, she finally gets what this movie's about. It's just trashy fun. Like have a good time. Yeah. Um, before that, she seemed really confused. I think her playing someone who's like, like a director or like yeah. a scientist or something like that. Maybe a little miscast. Yeah. She right. can't quite pull it off. Yeah. You're but, a backup, um, backup dancer. She's just, you know, being can maybe be herself or maybe something she's more comfortable doing. Right. Um, and reacting more honestly. I was wondering why she took this film. Uh, I know this well, is... Well, she, was, was, she got top billed in a... She did in a, get top billed. In a billed. movie, I think about where she was. Remember, we had just done, if you don't know, we have a YouTube show as well. Right. Uh, and one of the movies we've covered recently is Jack, the Robin Williams movie, which oh, is yeah, she was pretty in ridiculous. Oh, yeah, she was in 96. But uh, the year before, she had a, a small role in that. Yeah, um, teacher. Yeah. Uh, put a teacher, uh, kind of a, a, a sweet, like, first or fourth grade teacher, you know, a nice enough person. Um, but kind of a, a thankless role. This, she got a lot of scenery to chew on she in really theory. Did. Yep. Uh, and I said, she kind of figured it out. The, I can see why she takes this. I mean, the top build. I mean, you, you, when you're starting out like that, you kind of take what you yeah. can get. I okay. Mean, that makes um, sense. And to her credit, it did open number one. So, oh, and it made a shit ton of money. 160 million or uh, something. Worldwide, I think that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. I think that. Yeah. 136. Sorry, Domestic, it made, it made about, about half that, which yeah. is still great for this kind of movie. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the one actor who really struggled with this it w- was Eric Stoltz. Right. He just could not, he couldn't get his head wrapped around what this was. He's right off of Pulp Fiction too. This yeah, is but the he year is, after. It is, so Eric Stoltz, do you know Eric Stoltz's career? He was in Mask uh, as a young guy or probably early yep. 20s with Cher. I remember that. that yes. was, that's and, like burned into my consciousness. And he's very good in it. Very uh, good. He's, he's uh, he got nominated for Golden Gold for that, I believe. He's really good. And there was even some Oscar buzz at the time. Mm. But you know what happened with his career? No. Okay, I, so he was originally cast in Back to the Future. Oh, really? Yes. So he was supposed to be Marty McFly. He was Marty McFly. So this is really kind of fucked up. Yeah. So this is one of the biggest, like, oh my God. There's, I think there's, in the 80s, there's two instances where all of what we consider pop culture changed uh, based on two actors, things that happened to them. Yeah. The first one is Tom Selleck. He was offered the role for Indiana Jones. Wow. He accepted the role. CBS wouldn't let him out of the Magnum P.I. contract, and they... Forced, uh, and, and they forced Tom Selleck to say no. Wow. And then they went with Harrison Ford. Because he was huge with Magnum. He was, he was huge. But imagine if he had done 
Oh, he would, yeah, he Indiana Jones. Right. Probably, and, maybe he would have had the trajectory. Or maybe the of, movie doesn't work. I don't know, but definitely we. Oh, I think everyone can agree. Like things would have changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the way we look at Harrison Ford would change. Everything would have changed. Yeah. So the other thing is this. So Robert Zemeckis cast the director of Back to the Future, cast Eric Stoltz. They shot a number of scenes, and if you are bored, go Google or YouTube Eric Stoltz Back to the Future. There are it's like tons of footage really the scene at the mall when yeah. they uh when the dorian goes back the first or goes the first when he goes back with uh christopher Lloyd, uh there's that they shot all that they shot the scene in the diner when he goes there uh in the 50s and um before the skateboard when he scene. sees his dad for the first time i think they shot that with yeah. eric stoltz there's like a number of things and uh, they got i can totally picture it Oh, it, it's it's there. Yeah. And they got about, I, I, I want to say almost like a quarter of the way through, maybe even more than that. In fact, a lot of the scenes they shot with Stoltz are in the real movie and just scenes without him. Really? Yes. So they kept a lot. So anything they shot without Stoltz, they kept. Anything they did with, with Stoltz, they uh, they had a discard. Uh, and he said, Robert Zemeckis said that it just wasn't, it, it wasn't working comedically. Hmm. Stolz was went to the role thinking it was more dramatic. He didn't quite get the tone of the film. Very similar to this situation. Yeah. And um, they they cut bait. Um, it was uh, it was very embarrassing for Stolz because they had promoted him in this movie. Like they had shot. It was like, oh, Eric Stoltz is in this new Robert Zemeckis. Like it was yeah. a big and this was a big deal. It was a movie people talking about because I think Spielberg was producing it. So um, he was. this was a movie that got a lot of attention. That must have been traumatic for everybody. Or I mean, even the director of the film to go through was, a quarter of the film and yeah, be Zemeckis, like, well, this isn't working. That's a hard choice to make. Really tough choice to make. And yeah. Zemeckis really, like, I think it really hurt him. And I think it hurt him even more on some weird level when we got ultra successful. Right. So what happened was, obviously, they, because they originally wanted to do Michael, they wanted to have Michael J. Fox do it. Michael J. Fox, they wouldn't allow him to do it because of family ties. Commitments. Oh, yeah. So then they went with Eric Stoltz. And then Stoltz, that disaster happened. Work, and then yeah. basically um, Zemeckis and the production company went to uh, Gary, isn't Gary David Goldman, it's the guy that does family ties. Uh, and they, Goldberg, and they went to him and said, we will do whatever it takes. We need to have him they do this like, movie. like buy him out or something? Uh, no. What happens is they came to an agreement. And this is where Michael J. Fox is like a, a superhero in, on some level. <laughs> Besides, obviously he does amazing work now with uh, yeah. Parkinson's and everything. Yeah, of course. But uh, they said, they said, listen, we're not going to, he's the biggest star in TV. And he was at that time. Yeah. Um, they said, but I'll tell you what, if you, I think they probably paid NBC a little bit of money. We'll let Michael J. Fox do it when Fimitize is not taping. So at nights and on weekends, Michael J. Fox was Marty McFly. <laughs> During the nine to five day, oh, he was Jesus. Alex P. Keaton. How do you do that? They did this for weeks. How do you do that? And they were rushing filming because they were already delayed because they had to reshoot all the stole stuff. So it wasn't. And were, a, was it a summer movie? They're trying to hit blockbuster scenes in or something? I, think, I don't. Or I, Christmas. I can't remember. I don't remember. I, I don't remember the release date on that. I saw it in the theaters, but I think I saw it like way after it had already been out for a week. So I was a little boy's five. Yeah. But um, the other issue was because they had already shot the uh, other stuff with other actors, they really only needed to shoot Marty scenes. Yeah. So it wasn't like he had a day where he could just take a breather and they're going to shoot it rain was day and after parents day stuff. after day. Yes. Of him 24 seven. Exactly. They already Doing shot two different roles. They already shot. Ooh. No, it was one role. Well, no, but I mean with Marty. Oh, yes. and then, yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Two yeah. completely different people. Yeah. yeah. They already shot all the stuff with Lorraine and all the <laughs> stuff with anything with Christopher Lloyd by himself or whatever. So they really only needed Marty stuff. So it was boom, 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 boom. And, uh, and obviously came out great, but poor Stoltz's career completely got derailed. He actually ended up leaving Hollywood for a bit, went back to Broadway. Yeah. I guess he's a pretty successful Broadway actor. And then in the nineties, he started doing more character work. Like you see in Pulp Fiction, he did a movie called killing Zoe, which is a, yeah. not a good movie. Yeah. It's directed by Roger Avery, who has a weird past as well. He's the guy that co-wrote uh, Pulp Fiction with Tarantino. Right. And then he ended up, I believe he killed someone in a drunk driving accident. Oh. But because he did Pulp Fiction, this was after he did a movie called Killing Zoe. 
And it was not a good movie. And then I think it was a couple years after this when he killed that person. And Tarantino and Avery, I believe, are, their relationship is somewhat fractured. They never wrote again together. Yeah. Um, Roger Avery, weird guy. He did um, uh, that James Vanderbeek uh, movie. Um, uh, Varsity Blues, was it? No, 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 no. Uh, the one based on a Bret Easton Ellis novel. Oh, oh. Uh, um, uh, yeah, well. It's in my head. Yeah, I know we'll, what you we'll mean. It's the dark one where they're dark on college yes, and exactly. there's like rape scenes. And where, uh, it even had, uh, yeah, it all, it exactly. all come to me. Yep. He wrote that. Yep. I think he might have even directed it. Um, but yeah, so but his career went off the rails. So we kind of got distracted from Anaconda. Rules no, no. of engagement. Rules of engagement. Boom. Nice job. Thank you. Is that what it is? Rules yeah, of- I think it's what it is. The rules of engagement. Rules of, I think isn't right. it? I think it is. I think so. Well, it is now. Yeah. Rules of engagement. Perfect. It sounds like a, a sub movie though too. I don't There's know, a whatever. weird like bath scene where a woman's killing herself and it's got, you can't live with living without you. Yeah. That song's yeah. in the background and yeah. she's like bleeding out or something. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really it's creepy too. I would not I recommend that movie. Um, anyway, but back to Eric Stoltz. Back to Eric. So, he, so Eric Stoltz now at this point of his career, I think he was trying to be a leading man again, and that's why he took Anaconda. But it's weird because he's like not in this film at all. I mean, you, you the kinda, whole second half. He's, he's probably second build, but he's right, fourth build actually. Oh, is he really? Yeah. So do you think he did the did? But it's such but a it's weird. It's kind of thing. a leading man role, though. You can see how yeah, you could right. do it, and then you can maybe get. He's other kind of the leading. hero, a little bit at most, more Ice Cube, but he's kind of but a the hero. The first half movie, he is kind of the leading man role. Yeah, that's right. And then it's like, all right, well, maybe I could parlay this into other stuff if maybe. they see me in this. I wonder if he got paid enough for some, or paid a lot to the do it. The cast is so bizarre, and then, and then bizarre. of course you have uh, Ice Cube. Ice Cube's actually my favorite character there. Well, he's because he's, he just doesn't take any shit. But he's also all of us. He's the voice of reason. Right. That's he his is whole the point in the movie. Well, maybe that, that's why I don't. He's, he really yeah. is. They, they made yeah. him like he's saying what all of us are thinking on our couch watching this. Um, <laughs> he's if you look at his career, he's had an amazing career. Yeah. From a film perspective, yeah. not even the music stuff. Um, you know, he, he not only was he in Friday the Friday series, he produced those. Did he really? He's got to be worth so much money. Uh, he also did the, like the barber shop. He produced yeah. those movies. Uh, he's in those movies. I know. He's uh, he's just had this. Uh, he was obviously his first role was in Boys in the Hood. Right. He's just had this like really impressive. If you look at his film career, it's like you go through. You're like, holy shit! It's he, both Ices. It's him and Ice T. Ice T. Ice T. Yeah, though I mean, Ice T now does like NBC More of an stuff. Actor, yeah. I mean, I would say like Ice Cube is like this underrated movie star. Yeah. Like especially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing among you know among more black audiences, he 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 he's not. That's part of the, part of the thing is I don't think white audiences and it's usually who votes for things like awards or things yeah. like that. But if you look at just the box office, this guy does not get the respect he deserves. This guy's in hit after hit after hit after yeah. hit. Um, and Ice Cube is not someone I I was looking through his. his I was like, oh, I probably should just check out what he's done. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this guy hasn't had like a four-year period where he hasn't had a hit. Yeah. And he's had like a 30-year career. It's pretty impressive. All right. Well, he's the best one here, I think. And he's good in this. He's very charismatic on screen. He's, uh, he, his characters, I don't think he's the best actor in the world. No. Uh, he's not, I'm not a huge fan of, I don't think he's, you know, the greatest thing personally, but you can't ignore his talent. And I think he's got a real um, sense He's got a real script sense. He knows what's going to work, yep. what's going to hit, and that's like a real like IQ. Uh, he's got like a real uh, Hollywood IQ level, which is pretty cool for someone that's not someone you consider to be mainstream. Yeah, but he's good at it. Did you um? Did you find the director to be odd? So the other films, so bizarre. The one that I uh, let me get this guy. It's Louis Losa. And Louis I, Losa. I, I could be saying that wrong, but no, I think that's right. Uh, it's the double L on the Losa. Uh, he did a specialist in um, I think it was the year, which is a terrible the, movie. But it, it that. That was 160 million. Oh, Stallone the box and Sharon Stone, right? Yeah, and I think I have this vague uh, recollection. Uh, so Sharon Stallone is getting Sharon Stone. Oh, Sharon Stone is getting um, 
basically, I think a hitman's going after her and yeah. Stallone is protecting her. I think they like narrate letters to each other throughout. It's a very odd, I weird love story thing. I have not seen it thing. since it came out yeah. like, on Blockbuster. Uh, but $160 million in the box office. And then this, with $130 million in the box office, this guy like did some work over the course of a few years. And this was like the last real movie he did. He did a Tom Berenger movie too before in like 93. It didn't no, no, do as well. afterwards. Oh, is that after? This, I, no, 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 no. This is the last movie this he did. This is the last one. This is right. the last like, yeah, movie right. he, he did. Because this movie was panned by although Roger Ebert gave this three and a half stars did he really which I kind of lean more toward that review than some of the other reviews it got it it's got, not bad it's, it got it's a fun. bunch of Razzies uh, yeah, nominations it did. it did I think it's kind of unfair this movie's not trying to be good no it's not it's supposed but to be fun and pulpy it would have been better it's if, short it's fun you get in you get out it's, it would have been better if it wasn't like the acting was, if, if it was just like the script wasn't as choppy and like it was a little more fluid that's the only thing it's like it's harder to get lost in it if you're seeing if if you're if it sort of breaks the you know, the, whatever, the fourth wall for you. The Tom Berry movie, we talking about a Sniper. Sniper, that's yeah, the one. That was yeah, before yeah. it, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so... But okay, short, it's short. So this is kind of the battle, right? So like, what point is it not pulp? Like, where does that line cross between just being trashy good and trashy? So there is a movie that I think does this exceptionally well. Uh, Army of Darkness? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the... Uh, what? I haven't seen those movies. I, I know, I, I will if we get to it. I, this, this is not something that just generally appeals to me. I, I'm not... But there is a movie that does this kind of film. Have you no heart, sir? I know, I know you like these things. Uh, <laughs> like that does that 50s schlock, which yeah. is what this is. Yeah, yeah. Really well. It's Tremors. With oh, yeah. Kevin Tremors Bacon is and great. Fred Wood. Yeah. It, it is the rare movie that can make a trashy, pulpy thing into good cinema. Yes. And only because of main reasons, because Bacon and War just play so well off each other. They do. Also, the supporting guys, Michael Gross from Family Ties. Yep. And Reba McIntyre, they're fun in this. Everyone's just having fun. And um, everyone's on the same page. There aren't any um, like Eric Stoltz people who are just kind of no. Or Jennifer Lopez. Kind this of is out a good parallel of films of like yes. people. And how long were they? I mean, uh, Tremors was about before. 90. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, six seven years earlier. These movies come oh, out. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, these movies come out every so often. It's like trashy, fun, like monster. Flicks. But Kevin Bacon at that time, he must have been kind of pretty like on the rise. Sort of like Jennifer Lopez. I wouldn't say on the rise because well, Kevin Bacon, his biggest film that I think a most iconic role is probably Footloose, and it was. 84. Oh, wait, was it that I early? So. I guess so. So, I mean, he's been, I mean, he's in Animal House in 1980. You know, he was in Friday, the original Friday the 13th. So, it could make yeah, his career right. is just wildly long yeah, and wildly yeah. good. And and that's the whole six six degrees because he's just had, he's worked with everybody. Right. Um, but that movie just real that just is shot really well. It's it really, is. It's really good. Yeah. Um, this is, this is not, so if you, if you really want to see a monster movie, my recommendation is probably Tremors um, as opposed to this. But this is, if you've never seen Anaconda, it's 90 minutes. If you have Showtime, it's currently free. It's with your... Um, oh, Disney Plus, or not... not no, uh, if you, or whatever, you, if you have cable. Oh, yeah. I, okay. I have cable, so I have Showtime, so I actually didn't, I didn't need to rent this. I didn't, didn't cost me anything because it's yeah, part yeah. of my subscription. So, so it was like on demand for free on Showtime. So if you have that, check it out. Um, I wouldn't pay a ton of money to see this, but if you're... You know, it's the cast is fun. It's quirky. It's weird. Um, it does have Anaconda cam. It does, <laughs> which is kind in, of weird. It also has the inside of yes. the anaconda. Oh as yeah, well. you see, you uh, a, when, that's a when it's eating shot. John Voight. Yes. Oh, that's really gross. Which is what these movies should be. That's true. That's exactly. Yeah. I was like, when it, when that shot happened, uh, that was great. there's another actor too. Um, oh, let me get his name. While you're saying that, yeah, I, good. Uh, I the other thing that I thought was interesting. Oh, a lot of people panned the animatronics of the snake, but I didn't think the snake was that bad. I thought it held up pretty. I mean, you could tell it's like fake and there's some digital it's stuff in there, but it's not bad. It's supposed to be goofy and yeah. funny. Like, it's not supposed to be. Right. I wish this movie, I don't think, the, I think this movie was PG-13. I wish it was an R. Mm. Um, because yeah, it, it could have been, been full on. Bloody uh, but and, yeah. to their credit though, because of PG-13 I, is why they uh, they got uh, more box office. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, the actor is Jonathan Hyde. So Jonathan Hyde was, yeah, in, that's right. was in two movies in 1997. He was in Anaconda, mm-hmm. which was at the time, although not anymore. I don't even know what his character is. He's kind of like the... He's like... Um, the host, I the guess. The host, yes. Yeah. He's like the celebrity. Right. Uh, so let me finish my point here. Yeah, sorry. So he was in Anaconda, which yeah. is at the time regarded as one of the worst films of the year. Not anymore. It's become a cult classic by the time. The other film he was in that year, Titanic. Which one best picture? Oh, geez. So it's like That's, right. the best of Both times ends. and the worst of times for uh, for Jonathan Hyde. But uh, but he he he's actually better in this than Titanic. I just watched Titanic for another film project I've been doing. Uh, I watched it the same day. I just watched it yesterday. I haven't seen it. So uh, you haven't seen it? No, I don't want to. It, I just don't give a shit. We're gonna see it eventually. So fuck. Uh, I know. So uh, but um, he's good in uh, he's he's good in this. He's not so great in Titanic, but Titanic obviously I'm sure he's I'm guessing more proud of. Probably I, I bet the other one. Um, is Frank Welker. Do you know this guy? Frank Welker, do not. Frank Welker was the voice of the snake. The voice of the snake? Yeah, and it's, I, so I looked into this a little bit because I was like, what the fuck? Because it was it's, he's credited. He's like the last credit. I'm like, voice of the snake. Uh, Frank Welker is a badass. He, uh, he is a big voice actor okay. for years and years and years. He did, he was Fred and Scooby-Doo in the old car- cartoon. He did uh, Brain and Dr. Claw in um, Inspector Gadget. Okay. Slimer in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nibbler which uh, from uh, Futurama. Okay. You know, uh, you know I hate cartoons, right? This whatever. Yeah. He, he's the Screams from uh, Spock in, uh, in 3. In, oh, uh, Star wow. Trek 3, right. The Search for Spock. I don't know. Probably when he's... I think it's in the scene where he's learned. reborn. Oh. Like, do you remember that, that scene? Do you, yeah, you watch yeah. the Star Trek? Yeah, right? I so did. He's, you, you said years ago. Yes. His, yeah, his like DNA is shot down to a planet. He grows up. I think it's during that. He's going through his puberty, which is really painful. He was Megatron um, and Soundwave in, in uh, not only the cartoons of Transformer, but also the, the newer live action ones as well. Okay. So this guy's been I'm glad around they that consistent and That's doing shit. This is, this is where most of the budget went, is this that guy. Frank <laughs> we didn't have much of a budget. The movie made a ton of money. Uh, they made two sequels after this. Oh, no. They made four sequels after this. Four. Including uh, the last re- one. <laughs> the last one, which is uh, P- Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Oh, okay. With the tagline, Crocs on the dock, snakes in the lake. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> the second one was released uh, in the theaters and was number one, I believe. I'm afraid we might. No. I, would, I would be very upset if we run into that. One but. of them has Hasselhoff in it. It might have been that one. No, it's not. This one had like Morris Chest. It was like they tried to make it like a real movie. Oh, they did. Um, I think maybe the third one was Hasselhoff. The third one might be. And then that guy, uh, John Reese Davis. Yes, Or Rice yes. Davis. He's in one of those He's in two. Indiana Jones. Yeah. He's also in Sliders. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, they really tried with this. Um, so here's the thing I have for this week. Are, you, are we done with Anaconda? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you have a game or something? I kind of a game, but it's not so much a game. But I think I like this is something we might do maybe more often, at least until um, we're kind of done with this whole coronavirus bullshit. So yeah. I really love every weekend. Uh, tradition for me is uh, I look at the box office reports. Yeah. I love box office reports. I, I just eat them up. I think it's, it's fun You're to see. You're a stats guy too. I love it. I just, I just go crazy. And I really miss having, I, mi- I really miss looking at that. I love seeing what movies succeed, what movies fail. So I thought, uh, at least for a little while, I'm going to start doing this, reading the box office reports of the week we do. Because um, it's kind of a fun look back in history. Sure. So here's the top 10. I'm going to start. I'm going to do one to 10. I'm not going to do 10 to one. Um, and then if we, we're going to talk about a movie, I'm going to probably go pretty quick with it. Yeah, sure. But uh, so number one movie this week was, in its first week in release, give me one second here, was Anaconda. Yeah. Made 16 million. Um, the, I can't remember. Is that good for a box office? For, back then it was, yes. Okay. Yep. Right. Especially in April. Especially for this kind of movie. Yeah, okay. Um, in fact, the other movie coming out this week, I think they kind of were, probably should have been number one in theory, or maybe when they make it, they thought it would be. So number two was Liar Liar, which we're going to talk about on yep. our YouTube show. That's right. That made $14 million in its fourth week in release. Oh. That movie was a huge hit. At that point, the movie had already made $120 million, but just, a just a monster. Yeah. Uh, number three, which we're not doing uh, on our shows, but if we end up coming up 
through one of the weeks around this, we probably will. It's the Saint with Val Kilmer. Yep, I remember. Um, Elizabeth Shue. Is she in that as well? I think that's her. Uh, made 10.8 uh, in its second weekend release. Yep. Number four movie, which we're covering on the podcast, uh, you'll hear it on Saturday, is uh, Gross Point Blank. Yes. Which only made, in its opening weekend release, made less than $7 million, mm. which was not good. And I think when they were making, when they announced months earlier that Anaconda and Gross Point Blank were going to come out the same we're weekend, like, the movie with John Cusack's going to open number one, right? You think. And it didn't. Uh so that movie did not do well, though that movie also has had, I think, a better life after yeah. Woods. And then at number five was The Devil's Own, which was with uh, Harrison Ford oh, right. and Brad Pitt. Was that his first week? No. Okay, so none, good, because I'm like, that. there's no way that that would be fifth. It was third week. And it That's was, still it's shitty. still really shitty. Only with those 30, two? I know. That movie was not, that movie was a bomb. Um, a r- real, real misfire there. Number six was a movie, this always happens when we do this, there's always at least one movie in the top ten I completely forgot about. Yeah. It was a movie called That Old Feeling. I don't remember it. But I had to look it up. Bette Midler and Dennis Farina. I don't I know. I still who have Farina no is. recollections. Yeah, I don't know. It made three point four million in its second week release. Just a bomb. I think yeah. by a point, Bette Midler had just she'd crushed it. Yeah. Uh, number seven uh, in its sixth week in release uh, was Jungle to Jungle. That was with uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, I believe, a Disney movie. Oh, right? I was thinking it was the uh, maybe it's Taylor Thomas who was from the um, Home Improvement. Home show. Improvement. I was thinking it was the the Tim Allen. Tim Allen, but maybe it's not. You could be right. I, it might be the kid. I think it was the kid, right? Yeah, I just had recollection of, uh, of yeah. Tool Time. That's what it was. Um, number eight was a Double Team in its second week in release. Is that Jean-Claude Van Tam, Van Damme times two? Is that with Jean-Claude Van Damme or is that with uh, Dennis Rodman? Don't know. Oh, it could be Dennis Rodman and Van Damme? Maybe. Maybe that was the Double Team. Weird. Um, <laughs> in ninth place, uh, in its 17th week in release, mm. Scream. Oh, wow. That movie crushed it Pretty for good. so and, long. And actually, the week earlier, in its 16th movie, had dropped out of the top 10. But back then, what they would do is when the movie started to end its run, they would put movies into cinemas that had kind of bargain prices. Like the Strand Theater in Dover. In Dover, yeah. I used so to love going to that place. If you Hampshire, it was Dover. Uh, but a lot of these towns, if you arrived in the 90s or before that, you probably remember it had kind of discount theaters. Yeah. So that's what happened I think, with Scream was that they realized it was the end of the run. So then it pushed it out to discount theaters. And it got a little bump at the end. Um, by that point, Scream had made $88 million, which was a, a huge hit for, uh, uh, for Dimension Films, which is a, a branch of Merrimax. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously got Wes Craven's, you know, you know they yeah, made a bunch yeah, of yeah. And then in 10th place was Jennifer Lopez movie as well. She had two in the top 10, and that was Selena. Oh, wow. I wonder, was, did she play the title role in I that one? I believe she was. She Wasn't did, she yeah. Selena? So that was in his fourth week release, made $30 million. So at that point, Jennifer Lopez had two movies in the top 10. Mm, that's pretty uh, good. And that was kind of what kind of cemented her. And you can see, you know, she did Jack. She did all the right things with her career. Obviously, obviously you know, she's... She's a backup dancer to a pop singer And then she movies. went and did like a Loving Color. Oh, right. Oh, wait. She was a backup dancer. She was, yeah, one yeah. of the Fly Girls, I think. And then she uh, parlayed that. And then she ended up, um, you know, doing smaller roles like yeah. in Jack. You know, probably aren't scripts she goes, but she just kind of, you know, work changed work with Robin Williams, Prince for Coppola. Yeah. And then because of that, now she's able to parlay that into films like Selena, which I'm sure she's more passionate about, but also did I'm things sure. like Anaconda to, to hit a wider audience. And then her career co- completely uh, took off. Completely took off. And really yeah. kind of, I, w- I don't want to say this moment in history is when it did, but it kind of was like this week, which is also cool because this week as well is the same week. So this is the first time ever the weeks match up. Yeah, we're the so same we're doing, week we doing, in this April, year in 2020. What is it, what is it, April 6th through 13th or whatever? Uh, 6th through um, six through 12th. And we're and this is coming out that same week. Yeah, basically. Which is pretty yep. cool. Right? That, you know, one in 52 chances of that, so there you go. Well, And that's what I got for the movie year. So we might do that every once in a while if, if I'm... Uh, I like it. It's fun to think back. I, I miss seeing my top 10 list, so... Yeah. Okay, so that was Anaconda, and the song this week is Can't Nobody Hold Me Down by Puffy. 
Or Puff Daddy or Sean Puffy Combs or Puff Sean Daddy Combs or I don't even know. Yeah. He's gone through probably five or six yeah, iterations P. Diddy of his song. Or whatever, yeah. P. Diddy, that's right. Or just Diddy. But I, I think, think, it, for a I think while, at this maybe point seven. He, was, he was Puff Daddy. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I know you're a big Puffy fan, so we'll... I'm not big, but I definitely... So this album, I listened to a ton. You did? Yes. Um, so this album is called No Way Out. Yes. And it's actually, it's his, it's his debut album as a uh, performer. Right. I mean, we know from before this, he was a big producer, uh, owned, I think, was it Bad Boy Records? Um, he produced a ton of stuff, like for Biggie and you know, a ton of people. Uh, Mariah Carey, all over the place. But the cr- the crazy thing is... Puffy or Puff Daddy or whatever, P. Diddy. This, like, starting this week, he had a huge string of number one hits this entire fucking year. Dude, it was crazy. Um, he was all over the place. He was six. This one was six weeks at number one on the, right. on the Billboard Hot chart. Dominated the charts. And then it was Hypnotized with Biggie. I'll Be Missing You, which is the... Because Biggie dies, like, like the uh, f- maybe the last month or the month after this song comes out, April or May or something, I can't remember. So he does the, he does the, um, the, he takes every breath you take the sting song yeah. and turns it into like an immemorial of right. uh, Biggie. I think that's what that is. But this uh, album came out after he died, after Biggie died, right? Maybe it was, or the month there's, after. There's stuff. It was like, one or the, it was something like that. Cause Biggie is in, well, cause Hypnotize is, is, so that was released after post after he de- after his death. I, I think. think Biggie died before this album because this album was kind of in tribute to Biggie. Like, was it? It's yeah. right around. Cause there's like lyrics in the album where he's like, this is all fucked up. What the fuck am I gonna do now? Like he's, uh, like, okay, he's really okay, upset. Okay, okay. This album's about then the he loss died, of a I think friend. Maybe he died the month before or something. It's he very, died like a year before. Was it really? Maybe yeah, I'm getting I, my year I, 96, I think 97 I think he, off. This album is kind of a tribute to Biggie. Well then Jesus, because then, cause Biggie, so Hypnotize hits number one after this song and this is 2007. So this is a year after his death then that's crazy 97 97 that's what i'm saying you said 2007 damn i'm all over the place decades wise okay uh but not only that miss so missing you mo money mo problems and honey by mariah carey that he he co-wrote and produced okay all of those songs in 1997 are number one hits for this so this was number one this song like you said yeah i'll be missing you number one like you said number two that same all the same album was all about the benjamins oh yeah and been around the world so oh, this yeah. song, this album had four number one or number two songs, plus the ones you mentioned, which he produced. So at this, I mean, he's all over. This no, is this is like the height of his. He's the biggest star in music in probably. 1997. Yeah, I mean, I, I think without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he completely dominated everything in 1997. Dominated, um, and I hate him. So, uh, so this is this, this Why is do a you hate of, him? Okay, well, let's get into this. So first, before let me just clear the rest of this up. It sold 2.7 million copies, which is you know more than double platinum. Obviously, it was a big hit. And I don't know if he, I didn't see any Grammy stuff, so I don't think he was nominated for that. So I'll talk about the song and it'll illustrate what I don't like about Puffy or P. Diddy. Um, so the song is, a, it's a slowed down sample of a, grand, a Grandmaster Flash song. Yep. Uh, which is the message. You probably remember, like, that was all over, all over the place. Yes. Like, uh, don't push me. Cause I'm close to the yeah. edge. That's one of the right. first like, rap songs. Yeah, ni- that was 1981. The first credited like rap hit was uh, was um, shit. What's that song? It is uh, it's Rapper's Delight. That's the first one in '79 that cracked like the top 100. But the Grandmaster Flash one was you know was a huge hit and one of the earliest. So it's a slowed down version or slowed down uh, sample of that with some like kind of synthy things happening. It's more of that laid back slow jam rap that I just don't really have a lot of appreciation for because it's just, it's the same sample 
over and over. There's not much of a change. It does feature another guy. There's a few guy. of the samples in there. Yeah, there, uh, they said that there, I, I read in um, that there's a, like a Michael Jackson like drum kit sample, but I didn't really hear there's it. It's mostly like, the Grandmaster Flash. Was it, you, you heard something sample, else in there? Like a mid-80s song. Like, uh, oh, no, no. He sings it, which I'll get into. Okay, it's, right. uh, ain't nobody gonna break up my stride. Nobody gonna slow me down. Oh, oh no. no. Yeah, that one. So he, he sings it. It's not really sampled, but he kind of, he sings sort of a version of that, which is a funny thing to throw in there. But that was a huge hit when we were kids. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Um, actually looked back and, and watched the video of the guy singing that. He's got this gigantic mustache. His name is Matt something. It's, it's in here somewhere, but it's a really funny video if you go back. Uh, Break My Stride, I think is the Break name of the song. Stride, that's right. Go, yes. go yep. and l- watch that video. It's pretty funny. Um, but okay, so it's a, sl- so it's a slow jam. It is. Nothing really changes. And the thing that drives me, and other people I like better. So Biggie's a slow jam guy. Uh, we talked about Tupac before. Similar thing. Um, or Snoop, Do- Snoop Dogg. That style, that kind of gangster slow down style is fine for other people. But Puffy, when he raps, he's just, he, he has like no affectation. He's just laid back the entire time. There's like, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of changes in his rhythmic flow. He just is kind of slow and monotone the whole way. Like there's no excitement. And I just think that's all he can do. And maybe he's like, he, he was such a good producer and he hurt like that's all these famous people come in and he's like, well, I can do this too. And yeah, you can sort of rap in rhythm fine, but if you don't have a lot of personality around it, then it just, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. So as background music, it's okay. But as a musical Stop. It's not. It's just not innovative. Not, it doesn't. Okay. So this song. This song is not one of my favorite ones. Okay. It's not. Album. So yeah. So I like. You know. I think I'll be missing you is a really good song. Like I think it's a really. Oh, effective. I hate that he he uh, sampled the Sting song. The um. Uh, right. Every well, breath I mean, you take. I hated it. Uh, okay. I thought. I thought it was cheesy and stupid. And I, there's a choir in there singing I thought it. it was, I, thought, I thought it was like it's a. I I enjoy it. I'm like that's if I hear that on the radio, I'm like ah. Oh. Now this also may be a bit of nostalgia for me too. Probably. So this album. Keep in mind too, this this week was two weeks before I graduated high school. Like these like I have a lot of these songs and a lot of these things are kind of like just imprinted in my brain. Yeah, of course. Um but I I really like it's all about the Benjamins. I didn't even listen to that like today. I think it's like a I think it's like a really well produced song. I think his producing skills are amazing. They're pretty good. Um I was listening uh, so on the way over here I listened to this song. I'm like, oh I I, I had this album forever. I had a tape in yeah. my car. You know, and both A side and B side were like equally good. And I was like, all right, I'm going to just listen to this, another song. So I listened to the song Victory, which is a song I liked a lot. I can't it uses the Rocky, like not the Rocky theme, but another Bill Conti song that yeah. I actually like better from the movie. Um, so not going to fly now, but a different one. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. I just like, I just like this song. And, yeah. I, and I, I feel, I was like, how do I explain this? I said, I know Matt's not going to like it. And I know it's like, I know probably in my brain, this isn't like good music. And I don't, I know, I always get annoyed. I'm arguing film with someone. And they're like, well, I like the movie. I'm like, well, why? And they're like, I just do. I'm like, yeah. that's stupid. <laughs> but I feel like I'm kind of doing that with this album. I really don't have a great explanation for it. I think, I do think uh, Puff Daddy is a really good producer. And I really, for me, I think he's, I think he's really good at mixing samples. He's, he did a lot of work with samples before. It was yeah. super, and obviously Beastie Boys. Yeah. Who, oh, I, who I, who my favorite. Yes. You know, Paul's Boutique. Way more innovative. Yes. Absolutely. No question. I'm not arguing that. But he was doing some cool stuff with samples before a lot of people were. He had access to a lot of really talented rappers and used them a lot. He never tried. He always like, it was always Peter in the family because the family meant like people can kind of help him fill in some of the gaps where, you know, and any good talent, any good director, anyone who's in charge of people is putting them in a position to succeed. And I feel like he did that with Biggie. He He did. Did that with all, you know, Faith, was it Faith Evans was the one who, I don't know. I believe that was the one who did. uh, He, he used this, 
this group of people that he had to work with, I think really effectively. He did. Uh, to me though, his style is way more 1981 than it is 1997. Is that a bad thing? I, to me it is because rapid. So you know, what rap came from, it was DJs who are spinning records at, you know, dance clubs and stuff in, in New York, in the Bronx and Harlem who they would, you know, there's, they're kind of talking over like in the seventies. Yeah. In the seven, right. In the seventies, uh, mid to late seventies into early eighties, telling a story or whatever. And they're like, Oh, why don't we just start to do this to in rhythm? Uh, that's where kind of the art art form came from. And it's more like that, where it's just this this repetitive thing that goes over and over and over, and he just sort of laid back, kind of talks over it. And it's fine to just have in the background, but it's not music that inspires me in any way. And and normally when I, I it's a different lens, but normally when I'm listening to music now, it's it's does it does it peak my does it is are they doing something interesting? Are they doing something I haven't heard before in a style that I've that I'm not used to? Is there like something about it that's that's different? And there just isn't here. I wouldn't say it inspires me, and maybe this is like a guilty pleasure. Maybe it's just kind of like a, a song to kind of have just have on. But I, I, it, I don't mind it, and I did. Listen, I don't mind. I, it. I said a lot of it could just be in the nostalgia frame, where I had this tape in my car. These were fun moments for me. It was a summer after high school, like, and it's double, nostal- double nostalgia too, because you've got the because you have the sample that's like so well known. Exactly. Flash. And yeah. and and I really enjoyed. You know, I just I listened to it. I, I said I was like I was enjoying driving yeah. over here listening to it, and I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing that, but sure. <laughs> I can't do the keyboard since no, okay. now, but if you listen to it, everybody will know what I'm talking about. No, but I, I, I just enjoy, I did, it was just, it just brought, I said, I mean, and that's not a reason to enjoy something. And it's certainly not a, not a reason to recommend something in a podcast. Other yeah. people listen to it. They don't have the same, you know, life experiences you do. Um, but for me personally, I'd be lying if I said this, I didn't enjoy this. Yeah. But I can't yet, wait till we get to a song where I can talk like gush about it. I can't wait to do that. Cause I, I, it's, I feel like just negative Nancy. So how this time. usually works for the songs too is we'll usually try to take the one or two. Like Matt picks the songs, I pick yeah. the movies. But Matt usually picks like usually the one top two, two or something. But then he does get a freebie. You can pick any song because usually you, that's the one you pick to play on the YouTube show. Right, it's a little different. Right, but it you is do, on the, you do get a freebie. Like my freebie was Gross Point Blank this week. That's why we didn't do the Saint. I might have to go further outside of the. You, can do, of you have a freebie. You can do. I have a freebie. Want. Is it a total freebie? As long as it's like somewhat charting that on something. Either charting that, or was released at that time. Yeah, I guess ideally charting. I mean, it has to, it's only something on some people, people know. Yeah, <laughs> you can be liberal with it. <laughs> All right, maybe I'll go a little bit further outside the box. I did want to make the comparison, though, between to try to make my point a little bit. So there's a difference between. So I, I, I said that this song is more reminiscent of early rap than it is new rap and innovative rap. And a, a good comparison to me. Have you ever one of the most innovative rap songs I've ever ever heard is a song by Eminem called Underground. Have you ever heard it? I don't know. I think it's off. I do of, like Eminem. Yeah, it's off of Relapse. Um, he does something that I never. When I heard it for the first time, I like shocked. It's just shocked me. Um, he does this like it opens. Listen to the song, and uh, and you'll hear uh, underneath like the me talking right now. Underground. It's called uh, Underground. Yeah, underground. I think it's on Relapse. You'll, okay. you'll you'll be able to Google search it, but underneath uh, this recording, you'll you'll hear some of the stuff that I'm talking about right now, but he starts with a choir that's singing in five. Bump, 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 dun, 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 three, four, five, bump, which is odd anyway. People rap over, over four. One, two, three, four. You'll hear the accent of the beat stay the same with the uh, kick and snare all throughout this. But then it'll go from a five pattern to a four pattern like this. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, four, five. And then to four. 
one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and it's just all about the subdivision of that accented kick snare into patterns of three and two to patterns of just straight one, two, one, two. And it's all about where you, like, it's how uh, songs are sort of grouping their accents. So five is really staggered and weird for us. Dun, 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 Starts with that. And he takes his, uh, 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 uh. And then he starts, then what he does is he takes that same accent and turns it into four when he starts, he starts rapping. So it's this, this accent pattern that's happening throughout, but it's broken into a dun, dun. Dun, 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 into five and then four afterwards. And it's so innovative and jarring and weird that he did this to take that same pulse and then just subdivide it differently throughout that it's, it, 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 like I said, when I heard it for the first time, it shocked me that, that someone would be creative enough to think about that in this genre, in this rap song. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. Something that'll, that'll like, that'll just wake me up out of, you know, and, and, and call my attention to it. Um, but isn't there... Okay, so... I love enjoying music that is, like, written well and nice. Yeah, I mean, I listen to James Taylor. Is, He's yeah. not anything right. special, necessarily. He just writes, like, good songs. Good melodies, though. He has a he has an, an interesting voice. See, Puffy doesn't have an interesting voice, doesn't have an interesting flow. The song repeats itself over and over and over. There's just nothing there that There's really inspires me. I mean, I, I can I compare this song on some of it to, like, Anaconda. Like, Ana, Anaconda <laughs> yeah. is just, like, kind of, like, trashy, fun. You just kind of, you know... Sure. I doubt I'll remember or think about it much more, you know, six months from now. Yeah. I know I saw this in the theaters in 97. I probably hadn't thought about it again really since we just had to do this podcast, you know, since we picked this week. Yep. But I'll listen to pop music that does that for me where it's kind of like, uh, we've talked yeah. about this before, like Britney Spears. She is not amazing, but the production uh, value on her recordings is amazing. The songwriting's amazing. She has I, nothing to do with that. I will say I don't listen to Puff Daddy like now. Yeah. Like I, I you know, I, this is the first time I probably put this album on my Apple music you know, since I got Apple Music, like you know, I I'll listen to like it's all about the Benjamins. Like if that comes on, like that's something. I, I this is a song I just I just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's kind of goofy, fine, but it's just like. But for the most part, I don't, I don't really listen to Puff Daddy at all anymore. But at this time in my life, I said I'd be lying if I'd be if it wasn't if, I, if it wasn't like a something I listened to a lot. Right. Um, yeah. I can see that. I think I made I went through those phases earlier on in my life where I was listening to pop music at the time that I didn't have to think about a lot. But then by the time I was hit high school, I was really educating myself on music and it, it stopped. It was just everywhere though. Like senior year, I mean like, you know, I'm going to parties. We're yeah. Just having fun. Like this, this album was gigantic. Yeah, it was. It was on MTV all the time. You know, it was yeah. like, I could, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure all of us senior year, you just remember for some reason that year in particular can really just, cause it's, it's like the last of everything, I guess. Yeah, in some ways sure. It's really imprinted. Like, Fiona Apple Criminal was a huge oh, right. album. Like, that's a good song. That's a great song. And that yeah. album title was huge. That was everywhere. You know, every girl that I was interested yeah. in was into that album. Like that song and that's fast as you can. That song is a That's a different album. That's, oh, is it that's a different one, album? That's one in the pond. Oh. So she has a oh, new yeah, album. Yeah, she has a new yeah, album coming out. That's oh, that's good too. I really liked her back in the I day. I like her the, a lot. The drummer on Fast As You Can was the the first Pearl Jam drummer, actually. Matt something. He was he's amazing. That that song is amazing drummings. Really? Fast as you can, yeah. Uh, also director that uh, was uh, P.T. Anderson who directed Oh Nights. yeah They were dating at the time but I oh, guess shit. they ended up she just revealed this year that they, I guess they didn't have a very good breakup uh, mm-hmm. Yeah yeah um, I really but, liked her But yeah this song uh, you know I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody if you're my if you graduated the year 97 uh, it yeah. is it is fun to go back and those are different nostalgia reasons but I I, I I can't argue with Matt that it's a good song Alright You know what I mean I can't yeah, I, I, know, I can't I, I can't Yeah Um Okay, so then, well, the reason why this is a little bit, we're good with the song, right? We are. I think, too, there's a, you're right, that's sort of an end 
um, punctuation to your high school career where this is the starting of my, I'm in, I'm in college at this you're, time. You went, so what year did you go to high UNH? school? Uh, 96. So Matt is a year ahead of me. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And you're, you're older than me too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm 41. You're 40. 40. Right. Um, but this is the, right around this time. This is, this is actually, I, this like hit me like a little light bulb today. Cause I was trying to think what the hell, cause it's not the beginning of the year. It's not the end of the year. It's sort of close towards the end of the year of my first year of college. Like what was happening that was interesting to me. And it's my love affair of disc golf. Did we ever talk about this? Do you disc know this golf? No, you don't know about this. I don't guess not. I probably, probably played disc golf a thousand times in my Can life. You explain disc golf. To yeah. You? It's like golf where it's a certain amount of, so golf, you hit a ball and a certain amount of strokes and a uh, certain amount of hits and to get to the hole. Right. So you try to get the least amount of hitting the hit the ball at least amount of times to get to the hole. Same right. thing with the disc golf. You play on, uh, it's almost, it, it's very similar to a, like a regular golf course. Um, although it varies a little bit more and you're throwing a disc and you try to get it into a basket in as least amount of throws you possibly can. There is an amazing course. It's a small course. It's very boutique, but it's an 18 hole, uh, disc golf course in Dover, right behind the high school, very okay. close to us. In fact, the house that you visited me in Dover, yes. yeah. it's like right there. It is right there. I probably play, that's Bellamy, uh, Bellamy Park. I probably, I've played that a thousand times. I played that course. I love it. But and I'd never heard about it. It was definitely a, um, it was definitely a sport that was not quite at the apex of its popularity in the nineties. That probably started happening mid two thousands. And now it's a lot, it's a lot bigger than it used to be, but it really, it started out West People were throwing um, ultimate discs, ultimate Frisbee discs, like the 180 gram, you know, you chuck, you're at the beach playing. Yeah. And making sort of makeshift holes, like hit that tree or whatever, or playing it on a golf course, hit, you know, get to that pin or whatever. That's how it sort of started. But it's really evolved since then where you've got these baskets as a pole with a, with a circular basket uh, and then a uh, another like sort of a circle above it with chains hanging down. You throw and you hit the chains and, it, and the disc drops into the basket. It's a really cool oh, okay. device. But my buddy Paul was a big disc golfer. I guess he, uh, I, I, we talked about this on another episode where I, I went to, I was at summer camp, his summer camp and like was a counselor. Okay. I think we talked about it maybe on a first or second episode. He created a disc golf course, not with the baskets, just like hit a tree type of disc golf course at his summer camp. So when he, when we were in college, He's like, you want to play some disc golf? And I'm like, I have no fucking idea what that is. I play ultimate Frisbee or whatever. And he said, okay, we'll just create holes. So we'll create, okay, we're going to go from here to that building and around the building. And we're going to hit that light post. Right. Hole one. And uh, so we developed a full 18 hole disc golf course on area three of UNH where I was living. Okay. Area three is sort of the back area. We talked about that before too. Eaton House is where I was living. Um. And I loved it. Like it was so fun. Uh, we would play late at night because because the because the, um, the you know the lights were still on uh, sure. all around campus and no one was out there, so you wouldn't hit anybody. Right, right. It was just you know me and my buddy playing disc golf. I had but I, so that was the time that I learned how to play and and um, and learned about the game. But it wasn't until maybe two thousand six where so when you play real disc golf, it's with specialty discs. Actually, they're okay. they're a little bit smaller. They're heavy, a heavy pl- If you get hit by one, it's 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 doom. Like you, you get hit in the head, it's gonna hurt you. So you don't want to get hit by a by oh a disc God, golf okay. disc. And you got discs that do different things. You got a putter disc, you got long distance driver discs, and it's a different technique of throwing too. Um, you can throw a backhand or you can throw a flick, which is how I throw, which is a forehand throw. Um, but 2006 is when I started playing Bellamy in Dover for the first time, and it's my one of my favorite things ever to play disc golf there. It's through the woods. It's a beautiful course. 
and a lot of fun to play. Even and when I was in California too, I missed it so much. I would play the course in my head, like oh, as God. I was going to sleep and shit. Yeah, I mean, I knew every inch. Do you still play disc golf? When's um, the last time you played? I played in over the winter sometime. Yeah, I would be playing now if it weren't. Oh, really? If it weren't coronavirus. How time. many times a year do you play? Like, how many times did you play last year? <sighs> Not a lot last year. Maybe played only ten times last year. No, but no, a few a summers, I was playing every day. Oh my god! Yeah, I got good. Yeah, I got really good. It's definitely Who do you a play with? To it. Um, I've played with different groups of people. There's this buddy Simon. Uh, we used to play all the time. Other buddies, yeah, other buddies. Sometimes I'll just play with my play myself, not play with myself. I mean, I'll do that too, but not on the disc golf right, course. Right. That's gross. So who? So last so year, I would put headphones in and like listen and play it. And so stuff. when you went, played ten times last year, who'd you play with? I played with a uh, buddy Mike uh, who lives in in uh, in Madbury. He's probably okay. listening to the podcast um, and a few other people. I a lot of times now I'll get people who know about my interest in disc golf and haven't played a lot, and they'll be like, "Oh, can you take me sometime?" And I'll do that. It's more more of that lately, whereas before I was more competitive. I was yeah. playing all the time and right. trying to keep besting my score. I still have skills. Or my buddy Paul, who taught me the game, when he comes back, he lives in Seattle, when he comes back, will play like a, a you know, a couple times or something. Okay. But yeah, if you ever want to go, I'll take you to do it. But that this is where my love of... But I like it? Uh, I don't know if you like athletes. Do you like, have you, do you enjoy throwing a disc? It's a... I, mean, I don't know if I enjoy throwing a disc. I don't know. It's a little bit of a hard, it's difficult technique. Um, but as soon as you make one throw, right, it's like hitting a golf ball. You throw it right the first time once and you're addicted because you're like, oh, that feels awesome. Right, right. So if you golf, at least for me, I'll hit it right once and I'll hit it wrong nine times. And yeah, that'll so happen angry. too. It's a little, it, it's definitely a technique. It takes yeah. some time, but you could also play with just a regular Frisbee if you've ever thrown that and can yeah. throw that with yeah, any I don't really like throwing like Frisbee. I guess I think, all right. Like, I never but really it's get, towards a... Right, but at least you have a goal We'll here. go sometime because it, it's really pretty right. back there and it's, all I mean, right. you can do it in like an hour. I mean, all it right. doesn't take a, a shit ton of time. Right. It's not like a regular golf course where, you know, you're six hours of your fucking day. All right. Um... Anyway, yeah, so that's All what right. I was doing at this time of my life. All right. I try that. I try it. How's that sound? You better try it. All right. That's a big part of my life that you didn't know about. I did. I didn't know. Right now. <laughs> the, the, another layer in the onion that is, that is macaroni. <laughs> Peel it back. Uh, headlines, though, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good segue, actually. Is it? Why? We got some golf or some disc golf? Yeah. Uh, some athletics, maybe? Yeah. Oh, like uh, so this is a little bit of a cheat, but not really, because this was the huge sensation. So... Our week runs April 6th to April 12th. Correct. April 13th, Tiger wins the Masters. Oh, wow. Is but this his first win? Is his first win. That makes sense. It yeah. was huge. I mean, I remember watching this. I remember he yeah. won uh, He won by 12 strokes. It was, you know, he, it was it was an amazing moment. He was done. Um, yep. and, but so all that weekend, people were talking more and more Tiger because, you know, the Masters starts on Thursday, so Friday, Saturday. So I, I kind of had to throw that in. I know it was a Sunday <laughs> after our week, but... It, it was a huge deal. It was a giant, giant, giant sports story. Yeah. Um, giant news He was story. young, too. It must have been early super 20s. Young. He was like 21. Yeah. Right, right about that? He was super young. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see someone around my age win. Like, yeah. Matt, like, I was a huge Tiger. I'm not, I don't like Tiger anymore, but I was a huge Tiger fan at that yeah. time. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, so this is interesting. Yeah. I, I think you'll like this. A little science type story. You know I like science. Okay. A Columbia space shuttle mission had to be cut short due to mechanical issues with a fuel cell. Now, remember, Columbia was the same space shuttle that eventually would um, uh, uh, get destroyed during reentry in 2003 right. with a different crew. Yeah. But in 1997, this mission had to be cut short uh, with the same space shuttle with a different crew. Um, and they ended up actually, uh, a few months later, they redid this mission um, successfully. So did they actually get to space? 
How did yes. what happened? They, they did, died to space, they, so like, they had to then come out. back down, I believe. Yeah. Um, because of this fuel cell. And then like a few months later, they were able to redo this. It was a small mission. You'd think a few billion would get you the best engineers on the planet. I don't know. But it was it's interesting. And I guess it's six more times they used that ship before it would eventually disintegrate. Uh, disintegrate. But yeah. uh but yeah, so but in ninety seven, one of the stories was the Columbia mission cut. Okay. I saw it, I was like, oh fuck, Columbia, holy space. Shit. But I just thought well, I remember just Columbia. You know, six years. Yeah, you know, I'm like, yeah, oh my god, right. something else yeah. happened with it. Right. Um. So this is <laughs> this is telling at the time, but um, we'll, we'll probably feel a little differently today. But the Dow Jones dropped 148 points on April 11th, and that wiped out all the gains in 1997. Hundred, uh, huh? 148 <laughs> points. It had peaked at 7,085. On March 11th. I don't even know. It did peak 20-something thousand recently, I think, right? Yeah, was it was like 22 or something. No, no. It's like 20, 21 now. Oh, tw- so it, even it peaked. peaked I don't even like, look at this shit anymore. Like 28, 29. Was it really? Point. Yes. Fuck. And it, it was at March 11th, uh, 1997. It's absolutely high was 7,000. <laughs> um, uh, baseball. I'm a baseball geek. Uh, the Mets home opener got rained out mm. uh, on April 12th. So they would play a doubleheader on April 13th. The reason that's interesting is because the Yankees game on April 12th also got rained out. So you had two doubleheaders in New York, in New York uh, on the same, uh, the same day, which hadn't happened in 15 years. Also the same day, of course, that Tiger won the Masters. So kind of a big oh, wow. Huge sports, sports day. Sports day. Uh, and the Mets lost them both. Of course, my poor Mets. Did the Yankees win that year? The Yankees split uh, their... Uh, Did they win the, the World no. Series that year? So in 96, the Yankees won... 97 was the Marlins beat the Indians. Oh, yeah. And the Yankees right. would later win 98, 99, Josh and 2000. in that team, wasn't it? No, he was not. Josh Beckett was on the 2003 Marlins, oh. uh, which defeated the Yankees. 97 Marlins. Uh, I could try to do that right now. Uh, you had Charles Johnson at catcher. You had Jeff Conine at first. Um, you had uh, Craig Council at second. Edgar Renteria at short. Edgar. Forget who was at third base. Um, and then the outfield had Gary Sheffield yeah. uh, and D- Devon White in center. So Gary Sheffield in right. And I don't remember who's in left. Darren Dalton on that bench. Kevin Brown was the starting pitcher. Oh, okay. Who would later become a Yankee? Yes, he would. Okay. Um, but he was with the Padres in 98. Right. Which lost the Yankees. That was the super Yankee team that won 114 games. Some ridiculous. Okay. Well, that's been headlines. Yes. And hey. you got to hear some of the 97 Marlins. Yeah, I could keep going too. Uh, well, how, how, how amazing is that, right? It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm less, I'm less, you know, impacted by it now. now that That's I know not that impressive. No, it is impressive. Yeah. No, I'm just giving you shit. Yeah. I'm impressed by your very narrow knowledge. Narrow, I'm also <laughs> movie genius and uh, well, there's movie Puff genius Daddy, uh, <laughs> aficionado or whatever aficionado. Yeah, something. Uh, yeah. So, um, I I guess I not a ton. I I did. I went through all the New York Times uh, front pages. Yeah. Not a ton of like big news stories. Well, that's um, gonna be tough for me coming up uh, for the next for the Saturday episode. Maybe maybe you'll find stuff that maybe. you know. Um. But in the moment, it seemed like kind of a, a softer news week. Yeah. Uh, except for the weekend, got all that Tiger uh, buzz, which is which really did captivate. And then you had all the opening days in baseball. That was kind of a bigger deal for right. some teams too. But um. Yeah, okay. That's it. I, anything so, else? Uh, next. Uh, so Saturday we'll be back. Um, with gross point blank with gross point blank and a song and a song yeah I think it's wannabe actually I think oh, wannabe by Spice Girls that's a Spice Girls oh my song. god so there you go so Spice Girls John Cusack um, listen back on Saturday there's nothing better than that there you go see you guys soon